That was kind of the most important part of the message. You are an individual that is part of a community. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefan and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. In fact, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at New York University where I do research and teach data visualization. Right, and on this podcast, together we talk about data visualization, data analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with our guests we invite on the show. But before we start, a quick note, our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads. So if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories. Or if you prefer, you can also send us one-time donations on PayPal, going to paypal.me slash data stories. Yeah, that's right. And if you don't have any money to spare, don't worry. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or maybe retweet us once or yeah. recommend our show to a friend. All this helps us in keeping the, the show going. <laughs> Anyways, let's get started with our topic for today. Um, last time we had a real expert on data visualizations around COVID-19 and simulations and all, all these things. And today we want to continue talking about coronavirus. You might be a bit tired of hearing it uh, from it today, <laughs> but we have a really interesting uh, project that puts a new spin on, on the whole uh, data visualization around the virus. And in fact, it's a game. And uh, so we said we need to get Shirley Wu on, who has been here a couple of years back together with Nadi Bremer. And so we needed to get her back on to talk about the people of the pandemic game. Hi, Shirley. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Shirley. Hi, Moritz. Hi, Enrico. Thank you so much for having me back on here. It's been actually, I think it was three years ago in May. So <laughs> It might have been exactly yeah. three years ago. Um, <laughs> and I actually was working on my portfolio the other day. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I think you're one of my first podcast interviews. Whoa, look so at that. it's really great to be back. Thank you so much. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And a lot has happened in the meantime, right? So back then we talked about the For data sure. sketches project you did together with Nadi. And now you have done a lot of other cool projects. Thank and you. Nadi has had this amazing career. So it's, oh, it's yes. great to see all yeah. these things. Evolve. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So Shirley, can you tell us a bit, little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Shirley and I'm an independent creator of data visualizations, which is a title that I adapted from Moritz <laughs> when I was trying to figure out what to call myself as a freelancer. Um, and essentially what that means is that I work with clients, um, usually within the tech or media or journalism sectors, to create uh, visualizations and stories with their data. Um, mm -hmm. And I tend to like combining my software engineering background with my love for design and art to create highly interactive visualizations that push the boundaries of the web. <laughs> Great. So uh, people of the pandemic, can you tell us a bit about the, the project and what the main idea behind it is? Yeah. So people of the pandemic is a the tagline that uh, we've 
kind of finalized on is a hyper localized cooperative simulation game. <laughs> Um, And essentially what it is, is it's um, a game where an individual can come and enter their zip code and we pull their population data and uh, the hospital data from their zip code and we kind of put them into this game where each week they have to make decisions about how many times they go out for what sort of activities um, and their activities will determine um, the the number of infected cases and the number of mortalities within their zip code, within their community. And um, after a number of weeks, uh, they have the choice of choosing to see if they want to continue for another four weeks. But now with everything going back to business as usual and seeing how that affects the numbers um, mm-hmm. and kind of the little bit of spin we put on is that um, instead of just the individual and their decisions affecting the community's numbers, it actually pulls in past player decisions. So actual real decisions from real people to make up the rest of their community to kind of help them um, with Essentially, the goal of the game is to save as many lives as possible, to have as few infected cases as possible. So real people from that have played the game in the past are helping them try to win the game now. Mm-hmm. And so you're storing all these decisions and then match. Do you also match people to similar zip codes or do you randomly take past players or how does it work? Uh, so we initially wanted to take uh, from their zip code, but we weren't certain about like how popular the game would get. Um, mm-hmm. And so for the first iteration, um, we uh, just took random um, 19 players uh, and and then we realized that uh, we had to have them make some decisions uh, and then we couldn't assume their zip code. So now we just uh, take random past players. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the second iteration that we just put out, um, what they can do is actually they can make their own team. So like they can make a team name and then send that link to their friends. And then they can have, instead of random past players, they can have a team of just their friends and family and see how they do together in their community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and so what make you decide to make this whole thing a game. So I, I could imagine probably you said like, oh, we are in this unique situation. Uh, I'm skilled with data and, you know, I should do something with data around this 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 phenomenon now. But, but ultimately, probably maybe you might have considered maybe making a simulation of the mathematics or making an explanatory piece as many others have done. Um, but I think you you made the only game that I'm aware of. So what, what makes you go for that uh, format? Yeah, I mean, I think the most straightforward answer is that just like you said, um, by the time I was starting on this, even I think I started looking at this in early March, uh, mid-March. And so even by then, um, like you said, there was a lot of explainers out there, like Washington Post had that great one about... Um, social distancing and simulating mm. that, which is their most read. And so the the first reason is that it's it's been it's been done and it's been done by really, really great publications with a lot of resources. And so I wasn't trying to compete with that. Um, and the second more detailed answer is that um, I think 
When I sat down to look at the data um, back in early March, uh, the first thing I realized is that I did not want to do anything with the case data just because there's so yeah. there was so much problem with the data collection, mm-hmm. um, and there still is. Um, and the second thing I realized is that I think around then there was all of this information about um, the social distancing and how that can help flatten the curve. Um, and I had I have been kind of <laughs> the first two weeks of March, I just kind of really obsessively read every single thing about COVID-19. And um, mm-hmm. I had started following all these epidemiologists and they were start and they were saying some really interesting things about um hospital beds and if you know certain number of people social distance then we will have you know hospital bed capacity until like june or july or um any so uh they had kind of all of these different scenarios um that i kind of wanted to bring together into visualization and i was trying to figure out who this audience um who the audience i was targeting was and i realized that i wanted to target the people that weren't taking um social distancing seriously weren't taking covid-19 seriously and that's when i realized that i think explainers are great like you know, storytelling is like, I love, like storytelling is the thing I love, right? Um, I, I love like very detailed explanations on a complex topic. Um, but I think people only engage with that if they are already interested in the topic. Um, and I was trying to, I was trying to engage with people that didn't care, that didn't want to care. And I was hoping to make kind of like a, like a kind of like a one liner, like one <laughs> kind of like a, like a quick thing for people to try and it's not, you know, overly text heavy, like hopefully it's engaging. And then after a few minutes, maybe they can come out of it with new understanding of the situation. And so that's how I landed on the idea of a game and, and, and a game and not a simulation, because again, I wanted to quickly convey that we aren't trying to predict the future, which I think when it's simulations, um, it takes a little bit more work to convey the uncertainty of, you know, we're, this is, we're, we're talking about the future and there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I, I really like what Hugh said and I, and I totally agree. I, I think that the idea of trying to do something that is not based on cases because who knows what cases actually represent, right? I think we still don't understand it fully, yeah. right? And uh, I think that's something that I noticed with simulations in general and with your game as well, is this idea that if you only accept that the numbers don't have to be quote-unquote right, but when you play with this thing, you understand the concept, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's something that I noticed also with other simulations, and um, I think it's it's really useful in a way. I'm um, I'm wondering if the difference here is like the difference between walking someone through a beta zoo, right, versus letting people play play the thing, right? And um, I notice with myself that when I play with these simulators, I understand the concepts much better, and I understand how the variables are linked together, mm-hmm. right. And knowing that the numbers are basically meaningless, right? And um, if I am, if I remember correctly, I think somewhere in your 
in your web page, you say that's that's not real data. That's not even necessarily what COVID does. And I think that's a, that's a very interesting approach. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, at the very bottom of our landing page, right below the like yeah. start button, we have yeah. like a very like we have a whole disclaimer that's like we try to model the numbers based on COVID nineteen, but um, I think we we try to make the model as close to the COVID numbers as we can, but um, that we're not trying to model the mm. virus. We're just trying to model a virus. Um, and that was something that we actually spent a very, very, like the, the reason why it took so long for us to kind of put this out there is just because um, I think half of the time we were, or the first half, we spent a very, very long time um, discussing exactly what you just said, which is that, there isn't enough reliable data for us to make a, and, and there's actually a difference between, I think a lot of the simulations out there are, um, community slash like system wide simulations based mm. on kind of the R naught that we know. So, um, there they can, I can, I think like even kind of be like, this is, is quite close to what R what COVID might be. Um, but for us, we wanted it to be about the individual and their decisions. So ours is an agent based simulation. And for that, like there's just no numbers out there to kind of back up, you know, what is the susceptibility of an individual? Um, and so we like completely made up all of those numbers. Um, and so when we were making this decision to make up all these numbers, the biggest discussion we had for a while was like, mm. should we even do this then? Like, would anyone find this useful if it's not actually COVID numbers? Like, would people just be like, well, we don't need to believe this because it's <laughs> not modeling COVID-19? Like, would, would it even be helpful um, and we ultimately decided that like, you know, we should go forward with this because even if only like a few people find it helpful, um, then we've done something. And it's, it's, it's also like a take on, it's, it's our take on mm -hmm. what's out there already. Yeah, what I also found really interesting and also frustrating about the game is that you cannot, uh, tell the others what to do <laughs> and, and I think that's also a very real like COVID experience is that you can control your own behavior but there's always two people to an interaction and you know both sides have to behave properly so and these yeah. are things that you don't see in these big picture like simulations right all these personal aspects and your personal frustrations and so on um. yeah that's <laughs> it's funny that you're mentioning all of these because these are all the things that we struggled with so much the <laughs> other like the 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 thing that we just we struggled with there is um like i literally before this episode wrote down biggest challenges and you just like hit on the first two which <laughs> is um and that one is that the whole thing about social distancing and slowing down the spread of a virus is, um, and I learned this while making this game, is that it's exactly like the voting prob problem, which is like as an individual, you don't contribute mm -hmm. um, to the, like unless you're in like a very rural town, then you certainly do. But like um, for most people in like the suburbs or cities, like um, for individuals, your, your vote um, doesn't have much of an impact. But um, if everybody in the community believes that and acts that way, then it has a huge impact. Mm. Um, and that's, that's, that was the same thing here. So we really struggled with also in terms of the model and in terms of the story, like, do we give you the individual, all of the agencies so that you can see like how your 
decisions like play out like it should we assume that your decision controls a hundred percent of the population um or should we um you know give you only a part of the population to kind of quote unquote influence um and there's like pros and cons to both right like i think in america people like we're all very individualistic so we we like to believe our own like how important we are and you yeah. know how how and, and the we want freedom to, see... to do stupid stuff whenever you want to <laughs> Seems to be in the constitution somehow. I don't know. I I I never thought I would say this, but um, I I like for all of my life that I've lived here, um, I've been very grateful for the individualistic part of America. Um, until now, so I'm Chinese American. So, um, growing up, I've always loved. Like having individualism versus like you know having mm. to like fit into a mold, um, and for the first time I'm like, please be a little bit more community oriented. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so if we were to you know go and give everybody like the the individual all of the agency, then it kind of shows them how the disease might spread, but it kind of doesn't hit that most important message, which is that like um. It's only if you and like whoever you can convince and influence, if you together make decision, this decision. Um, and that was kind of the most important part of the message of you are an individual that is part of a community, um, which uh, there's still like pros and cons to the decision because the way we made it, then people are people are frustrated. People are like, this sucks. Like everybody <laughs> dies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, I don't think there was a good answer. And we just decided to go with the one that I think we thought was the more important message. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Shirley, are you concerned at all with, say, the fact that it's a, a, apparent, well, not, not apparently, it's a pretty serious topic, but there's some playfulness there. So was that one of the initial concerns that you had, like the tension between playful thing and the seriousness of the, oh, yeah. of the subject. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. Um, it is, I, I mean, that's something that I firmly believe in for data visualization that, um, to always respect, uh, what the data represents. And each of these data points are, I mean, fictitious people, but, um, but fictitious people that potentially represent real people. Yeah. Um, and so the whole time we were working on this, the number one concern I had was to make sure that we do this as empathetically um, as we can. Um, definitely, I felt weird calling it a game, that it, it feels like it's making light of the situation. But um, I, I also stand by the decision to make it a game that um, I yeah. think it, it was... I think a good decision. Um, yeah. and in, in the way that we tried to balance that is in the wording, um, all of the messaging, we were really careful to be respectful and hopefully yeah. empathetic and, sure. um, and, and serious that it's, it's a serious situation mm. and, and kind of the color usage that we had. Um, yeah. Yeah. we, we tried to be very, very, um, yeah, it's not really flashy or anything. No, it's, yeah. no. 
Yeah, yeah, we weren't trying to be yeah. flashy. Yeah, but yeah, that's always yeah, exactly. a fine line, right? Yeah. And so, so yeah, it's so a fine line. People might say, yeah. oh, you're making fun of these, and people die, you know? And and then, yeah, then you achieve the opposite, basically. But I, I also agree. I think you, you balanced it out pretty well. And Yeah. Even Thank though you I, so much. Yeah. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but there, there's this thing that games are not necessarily something that is not serious, right? And there is this whole mm -hmm. debate in the Game. I mean, I'm not a gamer myself, but I know that there is a debate about this idea of serious games as if a game per se is not necessarily yeah. serious. There are a lot right? of games that are really serious and <laughs> yeah. or they, or that simulate like war decisions. Or but whatever. I know gamers that so, don't yeah. completely dislike this idea of serious games. It's just mm. a game. <laughs> I don't know what your take is there, but yeah. Well, so, uh, well, actually, sorry, I, I'm going to just finish, uh, one last, um, about, uh, the, the balance, yeah. um, which is, uh, that I was kind of, as I was working on this project, I was talking to someone in the database community that is immunocompromised. Um, and I was kind of talking to him, um, throughout to kind of get his view on COVID-19. And I think the most flattering thing was when he saw the game and he told me that, um, that he was just so happy about how the messaging was, didn't make him feel othered, um, that, you know, that we're doing this to help people like him, that he didn't feel that way. Um, and that he thought, He actually, because it was one of the things I explicitly asked about, did we balance that well? And he said that he thought we balanced it really well, that he didn't feel alienated from it. Um, and I think that was the greatest compliment. I just wanted to add that to, to the, to the previous answer. Um, because I just remembered it. Um, but, but the second part of, uh, what you just asked, um, I mean, I have to put a disclaimer that I'm not a gamer. Yeah. <laughs> um, And so I can't speak on behalf of that, but I personally believe that, you know, um, as a non-gamer that I think games are an extremely powerful, um, way to like tell a message and tell a story. Um, and so I personally think that there could be such a thing as serious games that maybe the tone of it is light and playful, but the message of it is important and serious. Mm. So personally, I think that there could be such a thing. Um, although I have a very like funny little an anecdote about when I first started this because I never play games, but my husband is like a lifelong like video or not like a lifelong player of games, like video games, mobile games, board games, all of them. And when I first told him about the concept, um, my very first iteration was that like, um, the decision that they could make every day was whether to go out or not, or one, to go out, two, to stay in, um, and three, to stay in and share the message. And he was like, that is, he was like, I'm so sorry, but that is extremely boring and I would never play it. <laughs> all of this to say, um, and he was like, why don't you make a simulation? Um, like what you're trying to do, that's a simulation. Mm. And all of this to say, as someone that never plays games, I severely underestimated games. And yeah. as someone that doesn't do data visualization, he was like, well, simulations would be so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a new indie game that came out. It's called The Longing. And the objective is you have to wait 400 days. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and so, <laughs> and then you have to find ways to spend these 400 days in the game, which is uh, hilarious. Yeah. So, I thought that was a very timely, very timely yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. It came out in February. It's amazing. So, somebody, oh my was gosh. A, somebody was a visionary there. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that, I think that's super interesting. Like, how do you make an interesting game that's also truthful, right? That's like a whole different, like, wow, it, it seems like. So much harder than making a truthful data visualization. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's really, really interesting. But I think you, as you said, as long as you get the basic mechanisms right, I think you have a lot of like freedom and a lot of like lever, like a wiggle room there. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to claim any knowledge of games because I think games and gamers take it extremely seriously and I don't want yeah. to offend it's any of them. Form, because uh, <laughs> of itself, for sure. It's an opinionated crowd. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. you know what? Working on this, I realize how hard it is because of all those mechanics. You have to balance mm -hmm. all of them um, and make it fun and like make it engaging so that people would like, you know, actually yeah. like keep playing. Um But it's the so, only yeah. format that really suggests that you have to make a decision. Like, I think so many other media formats we have make you lean back and, like, consume. Mm -hmm. Even even data visualizations that are maybe made for exploration or something are sort yeah. of still, like, yeah, there's something external and you explore it. But yeah. you're, like, in sort of, uh, you're in this, like, bird's eye perspective mode detached mm. from the scene uh, you know almighty observer but in a game you're like oh i'm in the middle of it i have to react i have to do the right thing i have to see what's coming you know and so i have to be an agent mm. really and i think that that makes it so interesting to to tackle data problems in game form i think Yeah, that's a really great way to put it. Like it, it gives you, it gives you agency. Like it puts you in the middle of everything and makes you care about it. Um, yeah. And I guess it, it goes back to what Enrico was saying earlier about how, um, all these simulations, because he was able to kind of like put himself in the middle of it and then kind of make all these decisions that it helps it helps kind of those concepts stick more than if it was an explainer that we, mm -hmm. like you said, passively kind of read through yeah yeah so were there any things you learned like you said you never built a game so there must have been things that you learned along the way <laughs> the so hard way <laughs> from your husband or otherwise <laughs> so what were can you tell us a few more stories like so if somebody else now makes a game doesn't make the same mistakes <laughs> um yeah so uh don't underestimate games yeah. number one step one most importantly <laughs> um But I think the most important thing that I learned um, that I thought was really interesting about how he thought about things versus how I thought about things of, I, I think for me, because I'm so used to kind of like the, the way that we consume kind of explainers, um, that even when there were decisions, I was like, oh, this, like people will just click on this button. Um, but he was like, why would I click on this button? Like, what is the feedback that I'll get from clicking on this button? Um, and it's a very interesting thing because I had him beta test like the first version. Um, and I think he was like, Uh, the first version was like, how many times will you go out per week? And he figured out, because uh, I have built in kind of like, depending on how many times it will affect your like uh, food or exercise, like how much food you have or how much exercise you've gotten. Because part of the game is that um, the con part of the consequence of your decisions uh, is that uh, if you run out of food, you die. Um, 
from the game. Um, and so he figured out very quickly that uh, if he just like the minimum number of times he needed to go out to stay alive. Um, and, and so after that, he like only paid attention to the parts of the UI that um, kind of helped him with that decision. So he ignored everything else. He was like, oh, um, the these community numbers, like I don't care about them because I don't die. Um, and I thought that was an extremely interesting perspective of like he just ties um, whatever action he needs to take with the immediate consequence of what might happen in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a perspective that I hadn't really thought of. Um, and that knowing that now um, gives me some more information about how to tie kind of those different mechanisms to parts of my UI so that people engage with all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was also wondering, maybe you can share with us a little bit about like behind the curtains, how this has been implemented, what what were the technical challenges there? It's a it's a really dynamic kind of app. It's really interesting. So it's not just a problem of how to implement the visual parts, but also how to make the whole thing work, right? And you do have a yeah. model behind it, right? Oh yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was um I think it was one of the most technically challenging projects I've done in recent memory. Um, so I'm going to kind of step back and say, like, I got to work with uh, Stephen Osterman, who I met through the Data Visualization Society. Um, and he has a background in kind of like spatial analysis for public health. Um, and so he um, spearheaded all of the model and simulation parts of it. Um, and we worked together to implement that. Um, and so and, and there was also I worked with Egghead. Um, which is this like online learning platform. Um, and they just kind of like sponsored and like help, it helped give kind of uh, like dev support for all of the non-dataviz parts of the UI. Um, and so I think even stepping back um, from the technical part, it was such an interesting challenge for me to kind of project manage everything of like making sure the communications were going, you know, between like Steven and I that were working on um, the model and then like me with like the egghead team who are who were working with like a lot of the parts of the UI implementing all of these. Um, and also... <laughs> yeah, that was that was a lot. <laughs> um and and then there was a lot of kind of struggle with like how there was kind of the tension between um how we implemented the model and how the story goes. Um there was a lot of struggle with, between the story, the model and the UI. Um but from a technical perspective, um we use D3, we use GreenSock for an animation and we use Vue um, mm. for all of the kind of gluing together all of the UI components. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I, I, so it, it was the most fun challenges I've had in a while trying to figure out how kind of that whole game screen, um, with like, you know, the interaction between making the decisions and then like the hospital beds, uh, like filling up and like, you know, the line chart going and all of those different numbers going. And in the middle, there's, uh, the community with the houses and the little dots that like, you know, yeah. kind of go in and out of different kind of establishments. Um, having, figuring out how all of that flows together and view from like a software architecture perspective. It was so much fun. I love software architecture, and this was one of the like projects where I got to do that for the first time in a very long time. Um, so, and and then I think the funnest 
thing I feel like I did was um I don't know if people even notice it's like a very subtle like d- like things that I like to do for delight um where if you look closely when the dots are going from their houses to the park or the restaurant or cafes they actually avoid all other buildings except for their um starting and ending destination <laughs> um and so that's like a little tweak in like the D3 force simulation that I did to like make them avoid all other buildings um <laughs> that when I like it, it was like a one line change and when I did that I was like I am a genius <laughs> I love that so yeah it was so much fun um and and the funny thing is the biggest technical challenge I had was figuring out how to lay out the hospital beds um Given that the kind of the little like, um, the little area that they're in, um, their, the dimension of that little container could change on screen size. And so, um, and then depending on the zip code, the number of beds could change. So like, what is <laughs> the dimension of that bed image such that it will always fit beautifully within that container? Um, that took me a, and my husband a whole afternoon of trying to figure <laughs> out if like there's a simple, beautiful mathematical formula to calculate that. And then by the end of it, we were like, okay, it's much easier if you just brute force it. And we just use like a binary search tree. <laughs> but that was the first time I've used a binary search tree since like college. And I was so happy. <laughs> it's crazy. Sometimes the little, the smallest details can take the yeah. longest time and other things just fall from the tree and you're like, oh, that, that was easy. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's always surprises. Yeah. Did you use any like charting library for the little like bar charts and line charts and so on? Or was that all custom? I mean, they were all custom. I just, I tend to like just building everything mm-hmm. um, with just D3 in view um, just because it gives me full control about how it looks. Um, and yeah, like how I want to annotate it, how it's laid out aesthetically. Um, so I don't ever use any charting libraries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Did you get any like interesting follow-up feedback or any, any stories from people using it? I, you, you mentioned a few already, were there any like other notable reactions? Um, I think the most flattering was, um, there's a team in France, um, that went and, Uh, translated it and also localized the data. So they went and uh, pulled the um, population data and hospital data for all of their provinces and postal codes. And then, um, so now it's available in France. And that was the most flattering. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the first time anyone's done that for any of my projects. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I think there's just been a lot of feedback of how, helpful it was uh that like it illustrated the spread in like such a concrete way um there was a oh i was extremely flattered um because i'm in uh so there's a a tableau hosted uh live stream i guess called Mm -hmm. if data could talk i think um and in there Uh, they interviewed a professor of economics um, and they started or he's a professor of economics that uh, specializes in game theory. And they kind of brought the people of the pandemic in as an example. Um, and he says something along the lines of like, not only did I immensely enjoy it, this is like um, a great example of showing um, like that this uh, kind of makes it more concrete what the local 
um, government is telling us and everybody should go play the game. And I'm uh, like, yes, that yes. moment when a Yale professor of game theory <laughs> says to go play your game. <laughs> I'm very flattered. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but again, that's so interesting, right? Game theory is all about like the science of decision making, right? And yeah, data yeah. visualization is all about providing the basis for decision making, right? And so, yeah. you know, it's... It, it had to happen. <laughs> the fusion had to happen. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. And Shirley, what, what's, uh, is there going to be a follow up to this project? And I think you mentioned that you've been changing it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, um, launched the first version, I think three or four weeks ago. And then we put out another version last week with all of the feedback. Um, I'm trying to scale back my work on it because I need to, um, start back up on client projects again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, so I think if there is to be follow-ups, it's probably going to be small, kind of like small, bug fixes or like small future improvements, but I'm hoping to open source it so that if anybody's yeah. interested in helping, um, yeah. then they can kind of contribute to it, hopefully. Um, though, uh, I think my biggest worry right now is the topicality of it. Um, like I think as we are right now, where we are right now, um, in the evolution of COVID-19, um, I think maybe this game is not as relevant anymore. So I don't know actually about the interest in it anymore. Mm. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks so much. And maybe you want to mention the, the URL or how to reach oh, yes. the, <laughs> the game if a listener, our listeners want to give it a try. Yeah. So, uh, the game is at people of the pandemic game.com. Um, and, uh, if there's any feedback about how to make it still relevant, um, because I think, I think people are, might be at the point where they've kind of like gone through the first phase of social distancing and now it's kind of like getting very antsy. And so yeah. maybe this could be like a good reminder of why we're still doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if people have any suggestions on how to improve there, um, That'd be extremely appreciated. But in the meantime, um, hopefully um, you will be able to get something out of this game and share with your friends and family. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, Shirley. That's, uh, that's been great. And uh, thanks for sharing all these stories with us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is crowdfunded and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash datastories where we publish monthly previews of upcoming episodes for our supporters. Or you can also send us a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash datastories. Or as a free way to support the show, if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be very helpful as well. And here's some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so follow us there for the latest updates. We have also a Slack channel where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, go to our homepage at datastory.es, and there you'll find a button at the bottom of the page. 
And there you can also subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish a new episode. That's right. And we love to get in touch with our listeners. So let us know if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know any amazing people you want us to invite or even have any project you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Just send us an email at mail at datastory.es. That's all for now. Hear you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.